Like it all just comes down to the demands of the games. The injuries are all pretty similar. You know, obviously the different coat, different injuries, and, and you might get more hamstrings in one and more shoulders in another. Get are all pretty, pretty similar. But what the boys can carry in different coats is exactly the same injury. League player might be able to carry it. AFL player can't. A soccer player might be able to. Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Hello and welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. My name is Jack McLean. I'm your host and today my guest is Colin Ball. Our key topic for today's chat will be why physios could benefit from thinking more like a strength and conditioning coach. And we'll be discussing not only that topic, but also Colin's extensive background in elite sports. So whether you're a high performance coach or manager, or you're a sports physiotherapist, or for developing footballers tuning in, make sure to hang around for the whole chat. And if you've got any questions, you can hit us up in the comment section below. But thanks for jumping on, Colin. Jack, no problems, mate. Thanks for having me. For those that aren't aware of your work, mate, do you mind providing a, a background of yeah your, your work experience, but also yeah academic side and and yeah the different sporting clubs that you've done, and then we'll, we'll start to get into the chat. But yeah, be good to get a, a background. Yeah, no problems, mate. I studied at the University of Sydney way back. I probably started nineteen. Seems like an absolute eternity. Yeah, now finished in '94. Worked in clinics, mate, around Sydney. I, I had my own practice. For, for quite a while. For family reasons, moved out to Melbourne. I think it was end of 2003 and worked down there with, with Craig Christie at Sydney South Physiotherapy. And part of the, the, the job there working with Craig was to work up. So spent eight seasons working in the VFL, a few of those with the Carlton Footy Club. I took over the lead role there whilst in 2012, mate, sport and work the Bombers for a while at the Melbourne Rebels, which was fantastic experience. He is there and then made the decision to come back to Sydney. I think it was the start of 2019, maybe. Came back to Sydney, worked at the job, and then I did a little stint in rugby league last year with the Sharks and now working New Wanderers in A-League, as they call it soccer, before they call it football, of course, but that doesn't go down to the so... I don't know what we call it. What do you reckon, Jack? Soccer, probably, for the listeners. That it, <laughs> I reckon, yeah, that it would be more, uh, I can only assume, well, the Australian listeners anyway, although there are a few that tune in around the world, so probably it is the world game. <laughs> yeah. But we'll, we're in Australia, so we'll call it soccer's fair. Keep reminding me it's the world game. I think we'll go with soccer. What do you reckon? Yeah, so that work experience thus far. So quite a bit of time in clinic. I don't know what that works out to be maybe 15 in clinic and then a decent chunk of time working working in full-time professionals it's been a good mix we're talking about off air pretty much any team ball sport you've been involved in along that journey who have been some strong influences or mentors if you like that have sort of helped shape your your philosophy and the way you go about it yeah i've already mentioned craig so important to me and he's he's probably one of the best diagnostic physios that you know he's 
he's he's a really smart guy. Shoot, his skills are uh, are fantastic. So I learned a lot <clears throat> working with you know just about being systematic and methodical in in um, and then obviously there there was a lot of treatment based work done there as well. But Craig has been a big influence on me, uh, and once I start. Are working in in full time sport. I've worked with my Jones. I'm over from the UK and took the, the lead role, lead physio role at the Bombers. So down underneath Jonesy, he's a big fella. But a lot from from Jones about how to how to integrate strength and conditioning into professional sport and and also in that environment because it is very different to semi professional. Yeah, probably the two biggest. Influences the dogs that I've had. Other people, my, my wife would call them expand. Is she, she woo woo stuffs. So people like Adam Meekins, I think from a physio perspective, really enjoy his approach to stuff, and he, he's pretty polarizing. These little bits on Instagram about keep, trying to keep it real, and then side of the physio world, I've done a little bit of study. Someone like Lane North has been quite influential in that area of, of my continuing education and Nick Bo Frills sort of guy reads a lot of research he's, he's got a lot of practice you read a lot of his stuff and then even some pretty inspirational guy about taking control of your own work taking control of your own health really so first of all they're, they're probably the main people that I take inspiration from and what about uh, highlights that spring you know, front of mind and, and moments that you you know, proud to be a part of. I don't know. I think I think the thing that really springs to mind was premiership at Port Melbourne, which was special, and then won the grand final. And it had been a long time since since that. You know, it was a pretty emotional time for the club. From a perspective, it was probably one of the years yes, you spend in sport because we didn't have that many injuries. The team played well, and they were a really special bunch of blokes. So, from a sporting perspective, that's the thing that really that, that year 2011 was a good year and then in professional day. so i'm a collingwood fan so i'm working at the bombers saying you know, to being a part anzac day was pretty special for three or four times so yeah, you couldn't lose right what is the bombers won it was a good day and if the pies won well isn't such a bad day either Box so, and it was good but the grand final was pretty disappointing day really with the giants so it was that was it was good to be a part of it, and the lead up to that was stressful, I suppose. I, you know, around a couple of blokes that you know, went to try and get up for the gates, but the, you know, the day didn't go well for us. Uh, and what about on the on the flip side, mate? The challenges that you've faced, no doubt, with elite sport and the, and the background you've got, the, there'd be a fair few challenges uh, that you face. But yeah, I guess some of the most significant mm. ones, and what have you sort of learned from them, or how have you grown from them, either personally or professionally? Yeah. Look, this is always a challenge from from coaches to 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 players. But if you're good at reading people and connecting with people, it's it's not such a bad thing. Communicate in a way to different people that they respond to. So you've got to you communicate information and and approach different people. But I think the biggest the biggest challenge working in in professional sport players really love to outsource. Their wellness and and physiotherapy, it, it's a profession that does a lot of really focusing on on pain modulation and 
and symptoms and you know, some people might call them party tricks, right? Where yeah, it's not hard to change their pain and the perception of the profession is that we're there to make people, and that's a huge challenge because not convinced that we all feel better and to take their pain away. So that's been, that's been because of people's expectations of what profession should provide players with the way that they're brought through, right? That's what they're used to and what they expect. So to try and change some of those mindsets can, can be really challenging and it's how fast you want to try and change it or whether you've got the man date to change it within the club, I suppose, and that's um, really... Segway for our key topic, I guess, an open-ended question, how, how did you come up with the topic and, and why are you passionate about why physiotherapists could benefit from thinking more like an S&C? Yeah, well, I'm in for a long time and I've been a physio for, for a while now and, you know, I've done a lot of cleaning, a lot of approaches and used a lot of approaches myself and it probably was had the jump into full-time professional sport that you really get exposed to strength and condition. During my time at Port Melbourne, like, the boys sort of did some weights, boys worked full-time, they'd come under training, might do a few few beach. Gym was pretty rudimentary, it's like most hotel gyms really, it wasn't much there, weights program or thin conditioning program, so they just try and, and then you make the jump into professional sport and obviously working, seeing his approach to how important strength and conditioning was, the way that I looked things but never really thought made sense and and worked well all the time therapy perspective and and that's where is trained largely in manual therapy and uh, modified people's pain so to come in and try and work in a physio really and be able to work with the different departments within a club was a list for going more down the strength and conditioning path rather than a big path for those that haven't made that shift yet, like, and you've seen both sides, what what are some of the benefits? Do you think when you when you do start to take on that approach, but also what are some things to be mindful of? I guess when you when you yeah start starting to dabble with focusing on more the the strength and conditioning side, I guess in developing robust athletes. Yeah, I think if you're trying to develop robust athletes, it's counted on something, and players are really funny creatures. They, you know, they like their routines and they like to do things a certain way and, and that somewhat. And, and, you know, I've been around at a few different clubs and meet for the first time all players that come to a club that you're at who, who have their route. They 30 minutes of physio before they try, positive in my mind. And I get maybe it's a little bit of job justification, feeling that they need to change something. Some Somebody comes with something, some dis comfort to jump in and intervene and 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 try and fix that beneficial in developing robust athletes because i'm not convinced that apart from making short-term changes it helps much in the long term i think long lasting you know results in people's function and pain improvements in pain i, I just think there's better ways to to go around that and, and to develop someone who's strong mentally yeah no, well said mate and, and thanks for sharing for i guess the physiotherapist list that perhaps are aware of maybe they have gone to a new club and there, there's a few athletes that are in that boat what have you found have been some effective ways of communicating to to try and shift that towards self-practice or, or getting them their own routine down pat to prepare themselves to train rather relying on yeah treatment and number one and and how 
aggressive they are. So when you're working, you look, I, I think a lot of it depends on you mean by that is if it depends what the program is trying to drive. Mm-hmm. You're gone passive, and that'll be a really difficult conversation. Sure, you know, if you're presenting a different philosophy than the rest of pushing, then that's that's a pretty difficult conversation. If the club's deciding that they want to go less down, down the path, then it's a little bit easier. And I've been at places where that upfront and, and brutal, and sometimes, well, you, you, but so I think if if you're in the right environment and, and if that's what he's looking, you can explain it and educate the player. One of the little things that I found was actually if you're sort of stuck in the middle, some some stuff before treatment, so you're making it an active process. So he can get his hand string rubbed for 20 minutes before training. You might make them do something. So they've got a treatment slot at 8 o'clock, whatever time it is, up at 7.40, and then you're going to do 15 minutes of rolling and mobility and work and get them to do that before they come to you for their treatment slot. And it actually, it, it works pretty well. It's pretty effective because a lot of the times they go, I've done that already good. And so, you know, like if, if, you, if you're struggling, if someone's really adamant that they want stuff, and sometimes I've sat down with players and gone, look, man, you know, you want five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, there's one of me or however many you've got in your department, depending on, on your staffing. And there's four, if everybody wants this, I just can't do it so can we map out where you know you maybe before training once or twice you get a session and then if there's a treat one of those and then gradually try to whittle down their dependence on manual and and that's worked pretty successfully as well and i think they get to the point where they go give me a lot of long-term relief it, it could just be that i'm not a way to make people i don't know and then you know if you don't don't want to do that you can just tell them that there's no betrayed my I have done that. Yeah. A bit more confidence is also effective. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank you for sharing, mate. And, and what about, what are some common misconceptions do you think when it goes with regards to injury mitigation when developing athletes? We're talking about manual therapy. So, you know, it can out-treat injuries. It's just my opinion. You know, like I could be completely wrong, of course. It, it did may well up, which I totally get, but it's it's just, it's my experience and and my opinion, but is manual therapy in general doesn't have a great deal of injuries in, in, in my mind. Now, some guys need treatment. Like I, I do manual therapy and I think for the right guy at the right time, it, it can be beneficial in conjunction. But I think we, we said as, and you think the biggest stimulus these blokes get is out on the foot and their lifestyle. So how they sleep, get three techniques, their mental stuff, like they're, they're, they're the trying to mitigate injury and I didn't, and that's difficult not really felt the performance and it is because it's a difficult job because you've got 40 guys however many guys and, and everybody's tolerance to the difference tolerate it well other guys can't and, but ultimately looking away from what they're doing on the pitch answers is why they're struggling and probably looking in the wrong spot I would think mm-hmm. yeah and from a, I guess, from different philosophies point of view, with the different sporting codes that you've seen, yeah, what have you learned from from each sport, and and how do you go about applying that to the to the next sport you work in? So I guess you're currently in soccer, but how did you, yeah, what have you learned from from working in rugby and AFL, and and how do you sort of bring that all together if you do in your current trade at the 
A-League Cup. Like, it all just comes down to the demands of the games. So, pretty similar. You know, obviously, the different code, different injuries, and, and you might get more hamstrings in one and more shoulders in another. Get are all similar. But what the boys can carry in different codes is exactly the same injury. League player might be able to carry it. AFL player can't. A player might be able to, and a rugby league player can't if it's a upper limb injury. I think when you when you're working in the rehab space, it's just about looking who and what they've got to do to get back into training and what their what the worst case scenarios in there can then just mould in their rehab based around that because it is different. It is different, and so that's a challenge when you when you change codes. You know what hardest part for certain blokes' positions uh, and and what they're going to be able to do not. And each time I've changed code, I've learned pretty heavily on the performance guys about. You know, what's Australian in uh, end league and go, this bloke expected to carry this all, and they've all been really good at, at helping out with that. So that, that's why the injuries are similar, but whether they can carry them in their game and get the job done is. What do you think are some important things to take into account? Perhaps maybe they're undergoing their undergraduate degree or, or master's. Yeah, how important is it working in the clinic? How important is it working at, you know, in community sport or, or semi-professional sport, long-term wanting to work in elite sport? Yeah, I don't really know the answer to the hard because I've I've seen it both ways. So I've done it the way where you work in clinic and you suppress ACL tears every month. You know, your exposure to is huge. So you get much better at examining them. And if you guys might see, hopefully, not saying any, right, but you're probably going to see one every two years. So it is significantly reduced. So, but then there's other benefit in going straight in to sport in that you just you just see more stuff you're exploring you probably pick up how to be a team player a little medical department sits in the performance model and have gone pretty much straight into the straight into professional sport and they've been fine as long as they're systematic in their examination of things because you need to assess if someone comes in for something then if you're a young physio full assessment of that person so that you're getting and runs on the board as far as examining lots of different things. But, you know, if you're working in community sport, you'll get mistakes. Uh, you learn from those mistakes, hopefully, because if you don't, you probably won't make it. To But most people do learn. Everyone makes mistakes, and if you're good at learning from that and self-reflect from that, then working in the clinic and community sport is, is massively. But it's certainly not essential in my mind. No, well said, mate. That's it's good to get that context. Like you said, you've you've done both, and you can see the the benefits to doing both. And it's nice to yeah break it down. I think like that. What about from going back to your career? Like, did you think? Did you sort of have foresight and thinking? I want to expose myself to a range of different elite sporting environments, or is that something that sort of came organically? You know, one one step at a time to work in different sports. So obviously, I was living in Melbourne where. That's that's the that's the main sport. So my exposure to that was you're going to get more opportunities in AFL if you're in Melbourne, obviously, because of all the teams. So I got an opportunity to work in Union while I was in Melbourne, which is which was fantastic across different codes. All it sort of just yeah, but I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did because you get to see different things, and you know, there's even though before I said that injuries are the same, like there 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 is some stuff sports that are peculiar to, to, to that sport. So, you know, it's first you work in soccer, you see stuff that 
and and I think the longer you're in the game, the more you realise that you know you don't know everything, and to keep an open mind about what's possible and you know appearance. Yeah, absolutely. And from a, I guess developing your, your, your trade as a physio, once you've had some years under your experience and you and you do want to start to understand more the performance side as well as strength and conditioning methods, what have been some of your favourite ways to sort of um, yeah develop yourself in in that space? Well, I did the ACO, which was which was you know that was a fantastic course to do level two. I never actually completed my clinical hours because I got a bit lazy. Sorry, guys. At, I did an Australian Weightlifting Federation course, which was lifting and coaching, which was fantastic. I couldn't walk for about three weeks. It was good. But that was, you know, that's that's the course side of things. And then with the strength and conditioning guys and, and getting, helping and trying to coach. And you know, I think that's that's it. It's physios to, to become coaches because it's a big, uh, yeah, a lot of physios. Physios will prescribe exercise sizes, right, and probably does your head in and other strength and conditioning guys across the country. Guys will do little band bits and pieces, and that's like it's prob- probably got a half a percent of someone's program, right? But if you get in, I'm going to coach then that because it's one thing to do those courses, it's another thing to put it into practice. It's like an ACA level one, so they've got the basic knowledge, but they don't put it into in, in using their passive modalities and 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 their manual therapy is to do rather than go like okay well, i'm gonna run with this and i'll say that you should be able to do the strength and conditioners job be able to do it if you're going to work you do it not as good as what they do it but you should be able to the guy's sick for it to be able to stand of a knowledge base to be able to speak to guys lifting and training so that you know your job of field has their special special niche and, and they're good at that but I think I'd be conversation and be able to run a session so it's putting it into practice manual therapy which is the most important thing oh, that's the because guys need to progress out the same exercises for eight weeks depending on what the problem is of course but experience are bad at progressing stuff and then getting rid of the low level stuff and progressing when I said I think more like an S&C it's about progression so once they can do and once they can do that well, maybe they need to change exercises or start thinking about power or, you know, slits then further on. You know, when you're working in the clinic, did, did you find that, you know, or would you find if you went back to the clinic that that would help you provide a better service for, for the client in terms of from a diagnostic point of view, but then being able to help out, you know, and consult? Like, did a lot of them have strength conditioning coaches in the private sector or were most of them relying on the, the physio to give that advice as well around programming? Yeah, I don't ever. I would give bits of advice on on stuff, but it was it, most of it was running, but extra bits because yes. mm-hmm. all the time training and some of them. So I think if you if you're in a practice where you've got access to lifting equipment on the premises, then that's fantastic. I think you could absolutely. Yeah. But one thing about humans is form, and humans. I wanted to say inherently lazy, but maybe that's bit harsh but things that help them really quickly especially once their pain starts to get better right then oh you still do this i'm not doing that anymore so it's one thing to give someone a program but you know there is no good or bad exercises jack as you know is it's just done poorly right so giving someone a program and them going away and doing it you know they might get better they might not but they might do it right they might do it wrong 
It but no, so it, yeah, yep. In the body is that it's probably going to get better anyway, right? Because it's a chain. So they're probably going to get better, and and that's the beauty of it. And if they're going to make lasting improvements and and gains, then you know they need to be coached. So if you had some access to it on premises, I think it'd be yep. And before we start to to wrap up, mate, is there anything on this topic that we haven't discussed that you'd like to to share? I don't know. Nothing really springs to mind. Like I, I just want to read. Like I'm not anti-manual therapy. Sort of upsets some people, and and I get that. And and just so that people know, it's my right, and it's it's the way that I work best, and it fits my you know the way that I think. She's not right or wrong. It's just how I am. But to work in sport, you you least side of it because. You, to operate a medical department that's entirely all medicines generally doesn't end that well because there's too much competing interests. And at the end of it all, you, you know, you, we're all there just to help their best and to play good football and to be successful on the field. You just, you got to know what to be strong on. The experience is that the less you're strong on, the better everything. You're going to get into a few blues, which, yeah. No, well said, mate, and, and and thank you for sharing as well and being open and honest with it all. But no doubt, I know it's been valuable for me, but no doubt for the listeners. From a personal side, in your work life, what what makes you angry? What are your pet peeves, either from an injury point of view or practitioner practitioner point of view, or perhaps what athletes may or may not do? <laughs> and I hate I hate it when people are late. It dry. No skill required, right? Don't be late. Poor schedule changes. Frequent schedule changes. Apart from that, not much. Not much. So in my time in professional sport, I don't think I've ever woken up and thought, I don't want to go to work. So much makes me angry, but they're, they're, probably, they're probably the biggest things yeah. I would think. Yeah. And what about your favourite way to spend a day off? Working in soccer, mate. I've got a new baby. She's almost so, uh, most of my spare time's taken up with her, which is fantastic. Appreciate it, Erica. She's She's going beautifully. I enjoy cooking. I'm a proficient cook off. Off. Don't ask me to ad lib. Don't give me ten ingredients and ask me to cook something. It'll be a dog's breakfast. But enjoy that. And like most blokes, I enjoy a beer at the pub. Uh, and what about we are in March in 2023? So early on in the year, what, what's on the horizon for you, mate? What are you most excited about? I'm excited about not wearing all. That's exciting. Got a holiday booked with the kids in the middle of the year to who live in Melbourne, yep. Charlie on us. So we'll all get to young Erica as well and we'll, we'll have a holiday in the middle of the year. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, fantastic. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you so much for, for jumping on, mate, and sharing with us your experiences working in a range of different elite sports as well as yep. discussing the topic, which I think no doubt interests a lot of people who, who not only work in elite sport but also may aspire to. So really, thank you for coming on. Thank you for your time. and. For those that want to answer, or sorry, ask any follow-up questions, mate, what's the best place to get in contact? I'll give you, do you want an email address? Is that the best? Yeah, whatever you're comfortable with. We can add it in the show notes. Fine, I'll give you my email, any, any questions or queries uh, um, that they want. And that's that's no, Jack, I really appreciate the, the chance to speak to you. I've heard a lot about you, and about your business and your podcast, and I hope the season in Melbourne goes well. No, thank you. And, and likewise, mate. Yeah, hopefully it's the rest of this season successful one and, and you enjoy that holiday, mate, with the fam. 
Looking forward to it. Thank you for everyone that's tuned in. If you tuned in halfway through, make sure to listen to the very start. This will live on our YouTube channel and we'll post it on our podcast, Spotify and iTunes in the next coming weeks. Our next live chat is with Claudio Alteri. That will be next Tuesday, the 7th of March at 10.30 Australian Standard Time. So I'll see you guys then. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian of the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changers, yeah, game changers, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm. Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just to be to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things and um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to yeah like reset and and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about you know that there is more to life than football or you know might be whatever as an SNC coach you know if something's you having a hard time um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um, yeah. so that's that's been huge um i think i wish back then when i was younger i asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things 
Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and, yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest, or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.